Shut up and sit down. Hey, what's going on? Beer Today, Beer Tomorrow is back with episode 28 featuring Transmitter Brewing of Long Island City, Queens. Transmitter brews beers with a focus on traditional and farmhouse ales. They have secured over 20 strains of Brettanomyces, Lactobacillus, and Pediococcus, as well as a brew house library of traditional Belgian, French, English, and American yeasts. Their mission is to leverage their passion and introduce craft beer heads to compelling and unique beers with an appreciation of their history and a focus on the quality of ingredients. Today's episode features a sit-down with owners Anthony Accardi and Rob Kolb. Crack a brew and enjoy the show. Cheers. Beer Today, Beer Tomorrow is very excited to be here at Transmitter Brewery located at 5302 11th Street, Long Island City, Queens, New York, triple one oh one, right under the Pulaski Bridge. Transmitter is an urban farmhouse brewery specializing in farmhouse style ales with a focus on French and Belgian style beers and barrel aged sours. Joining me today is longtime co-host Pete and BTBT goon Justin. Welcome back to another show, gentlemen. How you guys what's doing? What's going on? How are you guys doing? Hey, what's going on? Pretty good, pretty good. And uh, our special guests today are Transmitter co-founders Rob Kolb and Anthony Accardi. This is Anthony's second appearance on the podcast. His first was back in May of this year during episode 19, the Queen's Beer Week warm-up event at the Pony Bar in Manhattan. Anthony, it's a pleasure to have you back again. And Thanks, Thanks for coming out. Absolutely. And Rob, welcome to the show for the first time. We're really glad you could join us here today to talk about one of our favorite things in life, uh, and one of yours as well, I'm sure, beer. And for the context of today's conversation, more specifically today is all about your beer. Guys, how you doing? Good. Good, Good to be here. Perfect. So um, getting right into it. So how did you guys initially get into brewing? Uh, I think Anthony started way before any of us uh, some time ago home brewing. I, uh, I started homebrewing in the uh, early 90s, okay. um, and uh, then Rob and I started homebrewing together probably, I don't know, it's probably been seven years ago now. We homebrewed together for three years and decided we'd try to make a go of it here. Okay. Wow, very cool. So uh, at what point did you guys decide, you know what, this, this is something we want to take a step beyond homebrewing? Was it that moment where it was like, you know what, this this is what we want to do? I mean, how I did that we, all come together? We threatened each other, and uh, <laughs> the, the the landscape of of brewing in New York City was much different four years ago, um, was like four and a half years ago when we started looking for a spot, and there was only a handful of breweries, and it just seemed like with eight and a half million people that live here, that you know New York was really starved for a brewery you know for local beer and it definitely has exploded in the last couple of years um, absolutely but that was the sort of the first sort of impetus to us looking to open a brewery well yeah you guys came up in a time when uh especially in queens i mean the craft beer scene exploded here a few years ago there was nothing and uh now we're in we're in the double digits um so what, what would you say influenced your fondness for the particular styles that you guys brew um, it, it's what we like to drink generally. Um, we also felt that there was a, there was certainly a hole um, that could be filled by the styles that we want to brew. Um, everyone was everyone was and is sort of riding the IPA train, which right. is totally yep. cool and delicious and great. Um, it felt like that that's a that's a hard nut to crack, just in terms of 
more and more IPAs and fighting for placement and from a marketing standpoint, um, we felt like there was some value in being focused and sort of a niche brewery in terms of presenting ourselves and having a cohesive sort of, um, you know, brand and idea behind the brand in terms of, um, and, and we stray from that a little bit here and there, but, um, uh, but it does help us when we present beer. It feels like it gives us some level of authority, um, okay. which I think is helpful in uh, in the world of beer. Now we're up to I don't know like fifty eight hundred breweries open in the wow. U.S. Yeah. today. I mean fifty six hundred, something something close to that. Uh, with still another two thousand in uh, in planning. So Jesus uh, you know even. We're certainly, you know, in 2013, we started um, Transmitter. Uh, we didn't open till 2014, but uh, even then, it was still probably half what it is today. So it was sub, it was sub three thousand. Yeah, it was. I feel wow. like in 2000, at end of 2013, we we're still looking at, you know, 2,700 or 3,000 breweries. So doubling that, doubling the breweries. Uh, it's cool. It's great. Like there's all this stuff on shelves and on taps and all right. that, and that's amazing. And I think, uh, I think uh, the tide is rising all the boats. But there's still some level of, uh, but it's a lot of beer. Right. You know? Yeah. It's a lot of boats. <laughs> a lot of boats. So, uh, well, what did you guys do uh, prior to Transmitter as uh, a brewery? So I worked in uh, theatrical advertising. Okay, this, this is quite the change. <laughs> quite the change, but, you know, if, whether you're selling a Broadway show or a, you know, a car or a bottle of beer, it's still marketing and advertising. So, okay. Uh, I, um, I went to art school. I opened a photo lab, a custom photo lab here in New York, and uh, did that for the first 25 years of wow. my life, okay. and, you know, after school. Um, and then we chose to start this and for the first year we both uh, worked nights and weekends so kept our day jobs um, I came on full-time first and then Rob followed uh, after that awesome you guys have never made an IPA nope. no never wow no. we make we make a few hoppy beers right but um, nothing I would distinctly call an IPA certainly not in terms of uh, the modern IPA that you would expect right you know well, it, it's it's kind of refreshing, right? Because there's there's certainly a uh, oversaturation of IPAs. I mean, I, I'm a big IPA fan, but I mean, they're everywhere, and obviously, you know, not all IPAs are created equally. But I think that, like you said, it's like that niche market that you guys are in. You guys are are almost like an alternative, um, and I, I like it. Even though I'm, I'm yeah, you know, we're big you guys hot stand fans, out, but especially in the neighborhood with everything you have around here. You know, I think the only other one maybe would be Descended. Right. Oh yeah. The, yep. Descended. The, the cider spot. Yeah. Right. So, what would you guys say is most uh, most challenging aspect of opening up a brewery in New York? Real estate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Number one, um, it's it's the reason why there's not a hundred breweries in New York City. If you think about other cities, you know how many breweries per capita? You know, thirty breweries for eight million people. 
it's a huge. You can't even. Yeah, doing business in New York City is really expensive. Yeah. You know, New York presents a host of challenges because it's a brewery. It's actually manufacturing, so you have to find the right zoning. You can't be just anywhere. But of course, as a brewery now, the business model is to have a tasting room. That's how small breweries succeed. Sure. So, right. um, so you need manufacturing, but you need to be close to people. You need to be have access to the brewery to make that happen. So. The, that Venn diagram of trying to find both manufacturing and close to people that are willing to come to the brewery is pretty small. Um, uh, that you can afford. Right. right. And this neighborhood's not cheap. And it's not, no. I mean, LIC, Greenpoint. Um, but surprisingly, it was one of the best neighborhoods we looked in. You know, clearly breweries always go to edges, essentially. You know, um, they... You know, you want to look at places that are just outside of um, where the towers are. Um, right. So, uh, because of where we are, uh, across the train tracks, underneath the bridge, like it's sort of a funky, definitely a funky area. Right. You know, uh, but it's also close to the, close to people. The seven train is, you know, 500 meters away around right. the corner. Yeah. Um, super close like people get off that and they can walk right around uh the bridge that we're underneath has a staircase down so that people from greenpoint and williamsburg uh while they're walking across the bridge can drop right down to our doorstep and wow. that was really awesome. oddly critical in our uh early success great uh, that's pretty cool so when, while you guys were in the process of setting up the brewery i mean what so obviously real estate was was a big big issue were there other challenges bumps in the road that kind of occurred the, during the whole process? I don't know about bumps in the road. Um, Anthony's run his own business for 25 years before this, so the running the business aspect, keeping books and payroll and accounts payable, receivable, and all that stuff, sort of, he had a really good handle on that, so it made it easy actually opening a business. Um, you know, our biggest challenge has always been capital. Um, were self-funded and um, didn't take any investors to open transmitter so we've always been sort of scrappy you know um, to reinvest into the brewery that's probably the biggest sort of growing pain you know. that, that that embodies the craft beer spirit in some ways or you can get a big <laughs> loan and some investors and open a big yeah, brewery there you right. go right. Yeah. and still, and still. <laughs> Still be craft beer. I you mean, know, yes. you know, it's um, not. Boston Brewery is still considered craft beer. So there's all different. There's levels. a long way up. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So uh, no, no arguments uh, like throughout these years, or like any any fights, fist fights. No. <laughs> <laughs> no fist fights. No. <laughs> no. It's only I mean, it's, it's only know. beer. Yeah. <laughs> we're pretty we're pretty chill. I mean, it's, uh, so how did you guys uh, come up with the name? Any story behind that? Um, uh, you know, naming a business is both easy and difficult. You're trying to find something meaningful. Um, uh, we chose Transmitter because we both happened to live in Greenpoint. We actually thought we could open the brewery within Greenpoint, and right. so we named it after Transmitter Park uh, yeah. down at the end of Greenpoint Ave. Interesting. Uh, uh, we like it was. It was. We thought it was a good name for a brewery, and we were looking there, and we had incorporated, and 
still looking for the place that we're going to move to. Uh, there was no real, there was no place in Greenpoint for us. Um, you know, real estate there is uh, is crazy. Um, and crazy crazier right yeah crazier (laughs) so uh my wife walked over walked over the bridge to go to work um and uh saw uh, a sign down here for a sublet on this space and uh came and looked at it and uh it was rough but interesting it seemed like again uh worth pursuing and the landlord was interested in us and so it worked out well but the, so the name is literally about Transmitter Park in Greenpoint. Do you remember the, the you know, the story behind the, how they got the name, the Transmitter Park? Transmitter Park is named after uh, WNYC moved a radio tower there in the late 30s or early 40s. And so essentially they had a radio tower in Manhattan. Uh, as buildings got taller, it was starting to interfere with the signal. So they moved it off of the island to the edge of Brooklyn, uh, they still there's still a building there with um, a transmission building. Essentially, they had two very large towers that were state of the art at the time, and uh, those towers have since been taken down. But uh, so uh, it was a WNYC broadcasting site essentially. Cool. Wow. Um, so what is your uh, what are your production volume like? Uh, I mean, we're doing, you know, 800 barrels, 1,000 hectoliters a year. Nice. And you guys, right now, you guys, it's just bottles, right? No, we do, uh, do about half and half okay. kegs um, for beer bars and beer-centric places, restaurants. Um, you, know. you guys just don't have taps here. Right. Exactly. Correct, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. So well, they, that's why a you lot call of complication. It a yeah. I mean, it's 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 not worth describing the issues but essentially we uh we had pressure to not put it uh taps in early and that's that thought we thought that was fine um so our tasting room is uh three small samples of beer uh for free people come in and get a a couple ounces of three different beers oh wow uh when they walk in they get like a description of each uh it's not a flight per se they they stand in our little tasting room and get sort of walked through it. And then people are welcome to buy bottles to go or hang out at these German picnic tables. Um, so the weekends, you know, we get we get a decent number of people and people are sharing bottles. And uh, we're doing, uh, we started with mostly 750s in, the, in bottling, mm-hmm. pork and cage. Now we've moved to uh, more 500, so we have kind of a split between we still do some 750s and 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 500 so uh we're finding that people can split a, a 500 and still enjoy it uh, right or or drink it themselves without feeling overwhelmed on a saturday afternoon All right. so how many different beers are you guys currently making uh we don't do any flagships so um over 100 different beers wow oh, wow in active production probably 70 can you name them all um, I could if you want to. Yeah, what's interesting is the, the naming convention. We don't name our beers. We have a letter number designation. Right. right. So uh, the letter represents the style and the number is the beer. 
It's not iterative, so S2 isn't a better version of S1. S1 it's right. a, each, each number is a distinct beer, and when you drink S4, it's always that beer. Like S4 here, it's gonna be our Saison. Yep, uh, we call this uh, classic Saison. Um, clean, straightforward, very drinkable, effervescent, um, a little fruity, a, a, um, a little spicy. This is nice on a, on a warm day. Oh, yeah, yeah, nice That's and dry, sure, yeah. absolutely. The, uh, so actually, I could sit here and name everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, luckily hard, luckily you know? for us, it's just a list. S1, S2, S3, S4, S5. You know, <laughs> G1, G2, G3, G4, G5. <laughs> very easy. Very easy. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously you guys are, are, are proud of all your beers, but are there any particular beers you guys have done that, you know, have, have really stood out in recent memory where you're like, wow, you know, our beers are good, but this one's, you know, something else? It's it's interesting. I, I think we often say the last beer we have is the best beer of any batch. Um, and since we bottle condition uh, every single bottle beer we do, um, the beers continually develop in the bottle. And the extra time in most of our beers um, really change them in some way. Um, so it's it's usually like one of the last bottles we have is like what I'm like. Of, of any given of any batch. Given batch yeah. that I'm really like, oh, this is awesome. We're unusually patient with uh, fermentation and bottle conditioning. That's like one of our attributes and strengths. Um, you know, we, because of the bottle conditioning, we, it's imperative to us that we let beer ferment fully. Otherwise, we end up with problems in the bottle. So, uh, where many breweries will, you know, ferment an IPA for 10 days um, and then can it. Uh, we don't really ferment anything for less than about 21 days. Okay. Uh, and we have plenty of beers that go much, much longer. Uh, you know, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. And then, and then there are beers that go seven, eight, 10 months, 12 months. Wow. So uh, it's a, certainly for, uh, for the general beer scene, that's a bit unusual and, and in some ways, as you, you asked earlier, like what's difficult, where are the speed bumps? Like our attention to time is something that costs us uh, money and energy. Production. And that's, that's hard. Um, uh, you know, with the size brewery we have, if we were doing straight IPAs, we could probably be making um, triple the amount of beer that we are, wow. maybe four times the amount of beer. Like, I mean, a huge increase in production. Right. Uh, we'd still rather do what we do and be known for that. So, um, so it's a that's a complicated matrix of like time, and we do faster beers, which to us means, uh, yeah, at, at at the shortest, like ten weeks probably before from from grain oh, to. Yeah, from grain to selling a beer, the fastest beer we make is somewhere between eight and ten weeks. Wow. Whereas, you know, uh, a brewery that makes an IPA in a can can do that in, you know, 10, 11, 12 days. Um, wow. uh, and, and for our beers, what we do is better for it. For their beers, what they do is better for right. it. Right. Right? I mean, it's not a... It, there's... There's room for both, and uh, but it does. It's New York City, and that time 
does cost something. You know? Yeah, I mean, speaking of time, especially in the beginning, and I'm sure now still, I mean, how did you guys balance work and, you know, personal time? Personal time? <laughs> <laughs> Is there such a thing? Uh, not owning in a business in New York City. I mean, if, if you have a weekend off, great. If there's something going on, you got to go do it. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, the only way to balance it is to have a much bigger brewery and have staff. Right. Uh, that's what we're working towards. Is it currently just you guys? We we say there are uh, essentially five full-time people. Okay. Um, and that's broken out in sort of an unusual way. Uh, on bottling day, we need five people here to help bottle. And so that accounts for... Um, 20 hour 20 person hours essentially uh so that's half a full-time person so really it's three full-time people and then a handful of uh part-time people ranging anywhere from uh three to eight hours a week uh, okay so but it but it accounts for about five full-time people hours right you know Basically, you guys work a lot. We work a lot. Okay. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, our, our schedule now is Rob and I switch weekends. So we're always here during one of us is always here during tasting room hours. So it's basically 12 days on uh, and two days off. Wow. Wow. Jesus. Wow. And then you guys are probably see so probably at events or. Yeah. Industry and then, stuff. Right. And then it's certainly random, you know, random stuff where we need both both of us need to be somewhere whether it's uh here, uh, here at the at the tasting room and somewhere else um at uh you know a festival or we don't do a ton of those because of um because of how much we work at this point mm -hmm. right but, uh, uh, but there's always but there are festivals that we're interested in doing and so it we're there you know so tell us about you guys. You guys have a CSB program, right? So can you tell us, tell the audience a little bit about what that is and, and how they could, you know? Yeah, we call it community-supported brewing, same as the CSA, except instead of getting a bag full of stuff that you might not ever use, um, <laughs> you get to come here and choose your beer. Uh, so you pay for six months of beer up front, and you get two or three bottles, depending on the size of the bottle you're taking, um, as well as some swag. And one of the cool things about it is you get a pretty good discount on any additional bottles you purchase. The way we do it, it's all round numbers, so it works out to be like almost 15% discount on any additional bottles. Oh, nice. So if you're local and you come a lot, um, it's great, save some money. If you in the city and you come once a month, like a lot of our members do, it's a fun way to make you kind of come out, support the brewery, and kind of get out of your apartment. Yeah. Fun. yeah. Taste of beer, make an event out. out of it. Yeah, yeah. We certainly have, um, uh, we certainly have very loyal people that have joined, and and we're constantly, you know, people, people disappear and new people come in. But there has been probably a, a core set of I'd say forty people that have been with us from nearly the beginning, essentially, or uh, are on their second, third, or fourth CSB. Uh, and it works super well there. We love to see them and we're glad that they're a part of it and that they support us so deeply that they, um, 
you know, some people are quite close, obviously, but other people are coming from, or we have a few people that drive over, you Jersey. know, from Jersey and upstate New York and wow. uh, Long Island, um, or even, you know, decided they were going to join and come out once a month from other parts of the city, whether it's, you know, New York uh, or the Bronx or Staten Island or wherever. So um, it's been a fun addition and it's nice to, those are people that we tend to know their names and we see them and um, that's always a pleasure. Kind of become like family. Absolutely. Yeah, big, yeah. big transmitter family. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like they're, in a way, it's like they're a part of the brewery. That's now, really cool. Now, can you tell us about the design on the bottles? Like, I mean, this looks really slick here. Does somebody else do this, or uh, we have a friend who's really a uh, Jeff Rogers, who's a world-class designer, um, and uh, we, you know, we named it Transmitter. Uh, he found a visual reference to something called a QSL card, which is uh, ham radio operators would uh, send each other a, a postcard mm -hmm. after they made radio contact. And the postcards were designed in a way that they were off, they were usually printed uh, with their uh, call letters. Uh, and then uh, they filled in by hand or typewriter um, information about their equipment and uh, personal information about their contact they made. And so for us, it gave us a way to, uh, to both tie it into transmitter, as a, which made sense, uh, in terms of uh, conceptually, like radio, radio kind of thing. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But it also gave us a way in to uh, provide people with a lot of information about it, uh, the beer. That was important to us. We want people to be able to pick up a bottle and read about uh, the beer and the tasting notes in a way. The worst thing that can happen is that someone picks up a bottle of transmitter and it's not a style or something that they potentially don't like and then they buy it and don't like it. I'd rather be upfront about it and let them uh, know what, what's in their hand and choose the beer based on their flavor and uh, preferences. Mm -hmm. So uh, basically all that layered information um, helps the consumer and describes what the beer is so no one's surprised I mean we we're drinking s4 this is really easy totally drinkable very straightforward uh, but we do have beers that are more challenging for sure that not everyone is going to necessarily like sour beers funky mm -hmm. beers barnyardy um, crazy stuff happening in it that really is made for a, a subset of beer drinkers in general or wine drinkers could you could so. you elaborate on one some of what are some of the more funkier beers you guys have done? Uh, you know <laughs> everything from some crazy sour stuff that could spend two years in a barrel or a year in bottles. Uh, you know all different wild yeast and bacteria, whether it's Lactobacillus or Pediococcus. To um, we do a beer with three strains of Brett that starts off super funky barnyardy horse blanket um, and we cellar it for a minimum of six to eight months before we even release it wow and then after that time it, it changes into another beer um, yes yeah, all these funky beers are all over the place in the 
They're just like living things that keep changing. So our our F series beers are essentially saisons in in sort of underlying style, and they always have wild yeast in them. So they're not spontaneously fermented. We're not using a coal ship, but they're inoculated with Brettanomyces. Depending on the beer, sometimes it's single, double, or triple strains of, of Brett. Uh, so those tend to be on the, on the cutting edge of flavor in terms of funkiness and fruitiness and grassiness and things that uh, are hard to describe in words because it sounds undrinkable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but once you actually put it in a glass and smell it and taste it, that can be an incredible experience. So you're saying horse blankets not a good marketing term? <laughs> <laughs> it, it depends on who you're marketing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, the H-series are, um, are are slowest beers generally. Uh, those are those we call harvests. They always have fruit in them. Those okay. start in, uh, those start fermentation in a red wine barrel. Uh, spend somewhere between six and 11 months in a wine barrel. We add a couple pounds per gallon of various fruits. H1 is Zinfandel grapes, H2 is Chardonnay grapes, uh, H4 is Italian plums, H5 is apricots. So uh, those are very slow beers for us to make, the slowest beers to make. Uh, and those represent sort of the pinnacle of our craft in a way. Um, you know, oaky, fruity, funky, barnyardy, like all sorts of layers going on. Sour. And uh, sour and they can rep we find that those are interesting beers for um, uh, for wine drinkers essentially. Uh, people that often go right to wine um, will love those beers. There's enough grape and interest in them in that way that uh, we find that people really gravitate towards them. This was the H series, you the said? The H, yeah. Okay. okay. So it sounds like those are some of your 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 uh, most, I guess, the beers you have some of the most fun with, right? Yeah, because it's always, um, the H is always harvest, so there's always a fruit involved, and it's always a slow sour. There's a couple different ways to sour beer, but that's generally soured in, in wood that's inoculated with different strains of uh, bacteria and yeast and just takes a really long time so you get to really watch the these beers develop over time and sort of nothing replaces that not like there's no fast way to do that there's fast way to sour beer which is kettle sour beer we do that as well and um, um, but it's sort of much less uh, not complicated much less Less straightforward. Yeah. Do you prefer one method over the other? No, just different. Yeah, you know, different, I mean, different ends to a meat. You know? Yeah, different different goals. I, kettle sours for us um, and for many people, I think of as being very pointed, like very uh, focused. very focused and citrusy, like lemony, um, very sharp acidity that way. Uh, and that sort of comes to you, you taste the sourness, and then it disappears, essentially. Right. Uh, and those are generally Gozas and Berliner Rices, fruited sours. And that's the, certainly out in the commercial world, that's a huge part of the market, you know, Westbrook Goza and 
right. Anderson Valley, and all those yeah. are kettle sours. Totally lovely beers, like relatively inexpensive, um, very drinkable, uh, bright acidity. Like um, so, the other side of that uh, of building a beer is the is that slow style, which you know, as I said, takes between eight and and. 24 months essentially uh and that that has like a much more profound and uh round sourness where there's a lot of a lot more layers to it um there's uh the acidity isn't quite so sharp uh you get oakiness from it because of the way we're fermenting it uh which doesn't present in the uh in the kettle side sour uh, and uh there, it's a different animal, and there's a place for both, um, for sure. It's not one is better than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's a hard. That would be a hard call. You may prefer one over the other. Right, but goes on to preference. Yeah. yeah. Um, you guys have to be patient to wait that long for a beer. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> you have other huh. beers to drink along the way. So. Yeah, I hope so. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Eight to twenty-four mm-hmm. months. Wow. I so the beer that mind. we're drinking now is. Um, Almost a year old. Wow. wow. This is the F4. This yeah. Is the F4, right? Three strains of wild yeast. Um, and it's fermented in stainless for, I think it's it's 12 weeks? Three yeah, weeks, about, about 12, three months, yep. 12 weeks in stainless and then another, you know, minimum eight, eight months in bottle, in bottle condition. Wow. So um, these beers continue to evolve in the bottle, which is what's cool about them. Is there any one of these that you like the most? Mm. No. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're all our babies, you know? Yeah. yeah. You Sophie's choice. You can't pick yeah. one. <laughs> what, what about uh, your wives? Um, oh, that's a, that's a good... Um, I, that's a great question. Um, my... Um, huh. Tanya's S1. All right. There, there you go. go. That was easy. So, uh, Tanya's S1. S1 is... Uh, is uh, we call it mahogany saison. Uh, we ferment it with a yeast that's cultured off the skin of a blueberry, so wild wow. yeast. But it's um, we don't again. We're not spontaneously inoculating. We're using it with intent, uh, and it's uh, it's a strain of Saccharomyces. So it's not Brettanomyces that gives it its sort of earthy funkiness. Um, it's uh, it's a delicious beer. We people love it a lot. So. You could think of it as being almost leaning into like a porter, oh, but nice. with a saison okay. slash wild edge to it. So it's dry. It's got like a little bit of chocolatey wow. coffee note, but but subtle, like less so than a porter, and certainly not as strong as a stout. stout right. Um, and uh, dry, super drinkable. It's got the yeast lends it a really nice mouthfeel. There's a, I think the yeast is um, leaving some glycerol, which gives it sort of a fullness in the mouth, which is interesting against something that's so dry, essentially. Right. Like, we're playing with sort of extremes of dryness and mouthfeel, and like, um, uh, the ABV is a little bit elevated for Saison. Uh, it's like, if I recall correctly, it's like around 7.1%. Wow. So it's got some robust alcohol 
two at two, which I think of as having, uh, I think of as uh, like 7% alcohol as having sort of a really nice fruitiness that does something um, interesting to the beer and how it, uh, how it is, how it sort of plays out in your mouth. So when you guys are brewing, do you guys ever have, um, you, you ever think about, do you ever have in the back of your mind pairing it with a meal, pairing it with food as, as you're brewing these beers? Um, certainly our beers, um, we love our beers to be served next to food. I mean, we think that they're, they stand on their own, obviously, as beer, but um, we are interested in nuance and delicacy, which... Um, you know, an IPA isn't necessarily interested in. Um, so we find ourselves marketing to, uh, certainly marketing to restaurants as a, as a goal. Um, a lot In a lot of ways, some of our beers can take the place of champagne. Uh, some of them can take the place of wine. Uh, they're meant to, they're meant to be delicious and subtle and nuanced without overwhelming food and that would be and that I think fits in well with our underlying sort of reference to the traditional uh, beers that we're we're making sure the H series sounds like it would go really nice with super well fish or something like that. yeah I'm so um, hungry I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> but no on the fish is you really want the kettle sour like the dry hop kettle sour stuff that that stuff and shellfish is like W four is a, a dry hop kettle sour. It uses Motueka as a dry hop, which mm-hmm. gives it really nice sort of lime slash lime peel yep. to the beer, like very uh, very robust sort of liminess, floral liminess to it. And next to like oysters, uh, it is fucking beautiful yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. Like, it's, really it's uh, there was some passion it's, it's behind that head, you know? <laughs> <laughs> i'm getting hungry now too it's got some, it's got oh some saltiness God. some salinity that's really right nice. it's uh so we make it pretty sour but we add enough salt to it that it adds like a roundness and sort of pushes the acidity down a little bit so okay. you get like a lemony acidity and then a salty brininess um Again, like just, just it fits perfectly with uh, plate of oysters. You know, um, oh, it's cool. Killing me right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting. I think a lot, a lot of people just assume that when drinking, it's wine that pairs well with food, and and wine does. But in many ways, beer actually is a better counterpart for food. I mean, there's so many more different complexities and the depths to the beer. So that is interesting that you guys do have that in your mind when you're when you're brewing yeah wine wine is uh it's interesting because wine clearly pairs well with food but um you can make a mistake with a wine pairing and that mistake doesn't happen the same way with beer like it's much harder to pair uh beer with food and make a bad choice like it's it's an easier pairing like generally um, it's hard. It's much harder to go wrong with a beer food pairing than it is a wine food pairing. You know. In fact, they say cheese and wine are one of the hardest pairings to do, and cheese and beer are one of the easiest pairings. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's cheesemongers that we've worked with have often said that to us. Like, wine is sort of very focused. Like, beer's got all these different things, but the the carbonation really, really helps with cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, 
kind of cleans your tongue, cleans your palate, where wine sort of lingers and mm-hmm. sort of what if it doesn't work well together, it makes it really bad. Where sort of beer sort of cleans that palate. Well, it's interesting, right? Like our artisanal cheese makers, they're somewhat similar to craft beer makers. I mean, I think both of them are they're a labor of passion, labor of love, and I think, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think beer and cheese is, is a phenomenal, oh, phenomenal yeah. pairing. Spite and Dival after this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Spite and Dival after everything. <laughs> Say hello to Alex for us. Yeah. So do you guys have any new releases coming up that you want to talk about? Um, we've always, you know, making new stuff, but it, I'm looking at the release for it. I mean, <laughs> the Apricot Gozo that's out right now is one of our really all-time, not favorites, it's it's beautiful beer. W six, um, okay. apricot goza. Um, uh, like we're not afraid to lean into the mineral minerality of the beer, so we add enough salt to it that uh, that it feels salty. Um, of course, social media sometimes there's always someone like not salty enough, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, when we usually when we make a fruity beer, we add a a solid amount of fruit to it. Um, so that Goza has probably uh, close to two pounds per gallon of uh, apricot. Oh, per gallon, sorry. Yeah. Um, and uh, super solidly, like, apricot nose. Still dry, like, right. not sweet. You don't leave any residual sugar in the fermentation process. Uh, and then it finishes with, like, a really nice salty sort of uh, apricot, fuzzy apricot skin that um, feel that is really quite beautiful. Wow. Do you do you get some of your, uh, do you try to get a lot of your ingredients when you can locally? As far uh, as locally as New York State? Yeah. We um, tried to get apricots last year and uh, there was a the crop failed for apricots. Oh wow. Uh, there was a early late frost, early frost, whatever it was. Um, so they weren't selling any wholesale apricots. Uh, this year we didn't have time you know, to reach out. Uh, yeah, eventually we'd love to do more local stuff, but it's hard because it's not like a couple hundred pounds; it's a thousand pounds. Right. Right. You know, the, as uh, we get bigger, it's a couple thousand. Right. Right. Yeah. There's uh, so right now, it, as much as anything, it's kind of a, just purely production logis- logistics issue where. We're not making that much beer, and the timing is very difficult. Uh, as we expand, that timing window will spread out a little bit for us because uh, we'll have more beer in production at any given moment. Um, and uh, we'll be able to wait a little longer for fruit um, to come into season. Uh, we have beer now that's in a red wine barrel that's waiting for the grape harvest. So okay. that's uh, coming up any any minute we uh, always do local grapes not local we get them locally like, uh, but they're california grapes so okay. we get those so. in harvest those that's the h uh h1 that we just described right uh chardonnay grape i mean uh zinfandel grape in that one so we'll go to a, a wine supply store and get them seeded and crushed or crushed in stems add them to the you know add them to the beer awesome Very any cool. events you guys have coming up uh 
What do we have coming up? Uh, in September next week. Right, Sour in September at Captain Lawrence's next week. Uh, the week after that, we have an event in Jersey City at the Archer, which is uh, two weeks. After. Two weeks? Yeah. Um, uh, beer bar um, that's hosting us there. Full tap takeover. They have six taps. So oh, nice. We'll pull out some. Uh, we pulled out some funky stuff for that. Um, and then the Blocktoberfest, which is the New York City Craft Brewers Guild, uh, all the local breweries um, do that in October. That's well, a big one. That's a big one. The, the Blocktoberfest. Blocktoberfest. Yeah. yeah that's, that's a great. That's a great event. You guys have a date for that yet? Uh, there is a date. I uh, don't know it. <laughs> hey, don't worry. We'll find it. Yeah. We'll be there. We'll Google it's it. October. <laughs> we'll Google it's like October. <laughs> 15, 16, okay. around there. Yeah, mid, mid-October. Mid-October at the well. 14th maybe oh, cool. at the well. Like nice. a great, great venue. In the uh, back, it's rain or shine. It's awesome. It rained last year because it's October. Of course. And it was yeah. packed. It was wow. great, well attended. Yeah. Um, the the Blocktoberfest uh, tends to be a, a pretty amazing event. Um, you know, we start with all New York City breweries pouring uh, some of their best beers. So... Uh, it's a guild. It's a New York City guild event. Essentially, right. it's a right. fundraiser. So, uh, it's good to uh, we love we are we are part of the guild, and we love to support it and make sure that um, people know about it. And um, we get beer geeks, and hopefully, it extends past. Yeah, past last that. year it was definitely not just beer geeks. It was you know a bunch of people from Brooklyn, Manhattan coming in just to drink good beer and awesome. check out the New York City beer scene. So very cool, very cool. So, so speaking, of, so when you guys are not drinking your beer, is is there any you know what, what kind of beer are you guys drinking? Pilsner. Pilsner. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, I been I really love uh, funky wine. I, I like orange, orange wine. wine. Okay. Yeah. So wow. I I sort of search out some uh, funky orange wine, uh, naturally fermented. Um, I think it helps uh, helps my brain. <laughs> yeah. I tell the wife the same thing when I drink. Yeah. <laughs> but we, you know, That's people great. drop off bottles or cans all the time, and you know, we'll drink. You know, we don't care. Yeah, yeah. It's all just beer at the end of the day. Exactly. exactly. Right. Exactly. With that said, when is the last time either one of you had a Bud or a Coors? Oh man. Oh man. That's <laughs> it. Uh, Anthony, oh. I'm not. A, I'm not. I'm I think totally I know the answer to the first time you had Anthony, one. Uh, what? The Miller. The Miller. Yeah. yeah. We have a beer actually called F6 that um, the story behind it is uh, I, I went to a rental house um, and during the summer upstate, got there on a Friday afternoon. Uh, there was one beer in the fridge. It was a Miller High Life in a oh bottle. God. It was it was beautiful. <laughs> I, drank, I drank it. It was one of the best beers I've ever experienced. <laughs> at uh, the moment. At, the, at that moment. Sure. And uh, so F6 is uh, uh, one of our farmhouse beers. So um, designed that recipe around the idea of cores and not trying to mimic cores or make cores at all. Like right. That's not the premise. But um, one of the things I noticed was uh, there was a really light, corny sweetness to it, which their, it, their adjunct is supposed to be corn. Uh, so we came back and made a corn farmhouse. So it's got about like 25, 20 to 25% flaked corn in it. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and then we twist it 
transmitter by using um, some Britannomyces, so it's got like a crazy, funky earthiness. It's a mixed ferment. Nice. Um, okay. So it's got both uh, Saccharomyces normal, uh, normal beer yeast and Brett. Wow. So, uh, depending on how you think about... Uh, it's also 7% or 6.8%. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. There you yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. a little bit. Yeah. 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 It's okay. stepped up in all sorts of ways, but... Um, I would have never guessed where you derived your inspiration from on that. <laughs> 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 I guessed it. it comes from everywhere, you know. It's, yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's, inspiration it. is about, like, tasting something you like and right. figuring out what you like about it and then using that um, in a way that you think you can add to the conversation, essentially. Yeah, yeah. You know? so it's like what you get out of the sure. experience. Yeah, all right. absolutely. absolutely. So besides your tasting room, where can we find Transmitter? Uh, uh, we like to say better beer bars and bottle shops across the city. Um, at, right now we're distributed in seven different states. Uh, mostly bottles go out. But yeah, I mean, restaurants, beer bars. Uh, you guys are up the East Coast now, right? Yeah, Maine, Massachusetts, uh, Rhode Island, Connecticut, upstate New York. New Jersey, uh, Pennsylvania, and a uh, once in a while in Washington D.C. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. Cool. So um, small drops, right? Uh, small drops of beer, mm -hmm. um, mostly bottles, but some some kegs get make it up that way as well. And uh, uh, yeah, our bottles uh, have a very stable sh uh, shelf life, so uh, we have a different. Our, our business model is to go wide and shallow, essentially. Okay. So where we just need to, we just looking to be in the 10, 20, 30 best places in any, any given state. Uh, so we don't, we don't drop a lot of beer any place, but um, they all get a little bit of it and it works, works well, um, helps our, helps build the brand. Um, kind of gives you guys a little bit of the advantage over the guys that are focusing on just on the, you know, IPAs, double IPAs. I mean, to be honest, those beers are not the same after, you know, four or five or so weeks. But right. you guys you guys get more longevity out of your beer. Right. Absolutely. We, you know, like I said, the last beer we have is it's the, the best, best beer. beer. <laughs> yeah. You know, we've had testing done on the on the bottles and our, because of the bottle conditioning and the nature of bottle conditioning, there's almost no oxygen in it. So that that's helping make them super stable out on the shelf. Wow. Um, they can handle, you know, some temp temperature fluctuations in the way that uh, hop forward beers really don't right. don't, we don't handle we don't well. Cold chain that we care about. Yeah. So if if you could kind of put it into words, what's Transmitter's philosophy on beer? Make the beer you want to drink beautiful thing yeah. i love it i love it it's 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 a great thing i mean it's great when you can kind of start out really doing what you want to do and then gradually people kind of they gravitate to it and people obviously are enjoying what you guys are doing i mean you guys are making really good beers um i mean you guys were mentioned in, in your times article mentioned in uh, draft magazine or you know i was beer advocate all these guys so i mean people obviously are taking notice and obviously you guys are in seven states too so yeah i mean that, that's a great it's a great life philosophy. Yeah. So where can we find you online? Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so 
the transmitterbrewing.com. There you go. Okay. Uh, Transmitter Brewing on Instagram, Transmitter Brew on Twitter, and Transmitter Brewing on Facebook. But okay. All that's on our website, transmitterbrewing.com. Uh, and what are your hours of operation here? Uh, so Fridays we're open 4 to 8, Saturdays 12 to 8, and then Sundays 12 to 6. Okay. okay. So I'm off this weekend. Yeah, Let's good. go. Come, <laughs> Come sit in the garden. Come by. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so see you guys open off for, for the whole weekend this weekend? Yeah. Uh, we're closed on Monday. Right. We, you know. want a holiday. Yeah. We <laughs> tend yeah. not to open on any holidays. Yeah. We, we tend not to push holidays. Our, our hours are pretty curtailed, and um, that's been working for us. Um, the uh, people, We do get calls for people that are in town on the on the Monday. Oh, and, wow. Um, uh, it's we all need a day off. Yeah. yeah. Day yeah. off. Yeah. Got to recharge the batteries. Exactly. Well, guys, do you guys have any, uh, this, this has been great. Do you guys have any parting thoughts for our, uh, for our audience? Um, any nuggets of wisdom? Drink beer. Have fun. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> just remember, it's just beer. That's what I'd like to say. <laughs> there it is. Awesome. Uh, Pete, Justin, any, any parting words? Um, I enjoyed the beer. I think I like the F4. Um, I think that that was my favorite today, and and I liked hearing about uh, the arts and how your naming convention because that that's a bit different. Yeah. Keeps us sane. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Um, honestly, I I said this last time when we were at Rockaway. Um, this is actually even closer. I grew up three blocks away from here, so to come back to the neighborhood and see what's going on, you guys making great beer. And just the culture that's going on over here now is just amazing. I'm just proud that I could say that I at least grew up here at some point. So cool. Cool. Very cool. That's well, awesome. Thanks. Guys, thank you so much for thanks. hosting uh, Beer Today, Beer Tomorrow here. And uh, we'll be back soon. Stay tuned. Take cool. it easy, guys. Thanks. Thank See you. Hey, guys. We hope you enjoyed the show. BTBT is back next week with episode 29 featuring homebrew and hand grenades in Nassau County, Long Island. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast. You can find the podcast on our website at www.beertodaybeertomorrow.com, on Podbean, on iTunes, and now you can also find us on Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. Don't forget to follow the Craft Beer Odyssey. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Tag us in your beer picks. Hit us up. Send us some messages. Let us know what you think of the show. Until next time, no matter where you are in the world, drink local, drink fresh, repeat. Cheers.